John chapter 8. <clears throat> so we left off with Jesus teaching in the temple and having an ongoing conflict with the religious leaders. Some things never change. This is going to be Jesus's uh, constant companion, as it were, throughout the gospel, where he is being confronted by the religious leaders. It happened last week. It'll happen this week. It'll happen next week. Um, you know, here all week, tip your waiters, it's going on. So this is the way it's going down. Now, we left off with Jesus having taught in the temple and um, verse uh, 30 uh, concludes by saying, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And, uh, and so we pick it up from there in verse 31. It tells us, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, those that placed their faith in him, he's speaking to them, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him. Now you might think the way this is written in the context where it picks up that many believed and he spoke to the believers, you might think that this response is coming from those who believe, but it's not. It's actually coming from the non-believing, uh, Jesus-fighting religious leaders. And so that's them speaking now in verse 33 they, the religious leaders, answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say that you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Understand the context, context of that word commits. Doesn't mean that if you, if you uh, just, you know, for anybody who ever sins, you're a slave uh, to sin. Um, the context is commits means an ongoing lifestyle practice. This is what Jesus is talking about. Um, we are sinners. We are saved by grace. And God promises that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that is certainly true. Um, but the process of, uh, of uh, this, this uh, transforming process, this, this refining process, um, this sanctifying process, I'll use a $10 Christian doctrine word, sanctification. Uh, salvation is a free gift. It's yours for the, for the asking. The moment you surrender to Jesus Christ, you become a recipient of his work on the cross. Your sins are cleansed. You are forgiven. You are made a new creation in Christ. But then the work of ongoing transformation takes place, and we call this sanctification. And this is also Jesus's work, just as the cross of Christ was Jesus's work to take your sins upon himself, so also sanctification, this ongoing work of being made like Jesus and daily dying to sin, this is the ongoing work of Jesus in your life and, and through your life uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not like you come to Jesus and all of a sudden you stop being a sinner. You, you are a sinner. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. But God promises us to transform us and to make us like him uh, in a daily walk with him. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's what the Bible promises. But Jesus is saying here that um, if you continue in sin, whoever uh, commits sin, active, ongoing, lifestyle, is a slave to sin. And a slave, Jesus continues in verse 35, does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free 
indeed. We're going to focus on two related themes today as we finish out John chapter 8. We're going to look at freedom and we're going to look at family. And we're going to see how these two are inextricably linked. We start off with freedom. If you're taking notes, just write that down. Freedom. Let's unpack this. Jesus begins with the simple premise that the truth will make you free. And the basic implication of this statement is this, that not everyone is free. Not everyone is free. Last week, we made the observation that the world that we live in is in darkness. Isaiah the prophet said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And this is the world that we live in. It's a world that does this routinely. It's a world that celebrates the shameful. It is a world that has parades for things that it should be having funerals for. And it is a world that laughs when it should be mourning and crying. And the absolute heartbreaking thing about all of this, we looked at this last week, that the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, that the lost world does this because they have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. And so Jesus says here that mankind needs to be set free and that that freedom comes through truth. But as the saying goes, not everybody can handle the truth, right? And this is what these religious leaders demonstrate. Look again at verse 33. Their response, Jesus tells them that the truth is gonna set you free and they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say that we will be made free? Let me simply tell you, this is a lie. This is an absolute lie and it's a lie on many levels. Um, the book of Judges tells us that the Jews in fact had been enslaved up until this point. They'd been enslaved many times. The 10 northern tribes, they were carried away captives by Assyria. The two southern tribes had been carried away uh, by Babylon, right, and enslaved there in Babylon for 70 years. And as well, at the time of this writing, when Jesus is having this conversation with them about being made free, who is now occupying Israel? Rome. They are living under Roman occupation at Jesus saying this. So on the face of it, their claim that they've never been in bondage is simply not true. The second reason that this is a lie when they say we've never been in bondage, well, yeah, you have. You were in bondage many times in your history. But the second reason it's a lie is because there's a, a, a greater issue of freedom in general. Understand that there are three dimensions of freedom. We talk about being free. There is external freedom, there is internal freedom, and there is eternal freedom. And here in the text, what have these people been celebrating? Remember the week-long celebration that was just right before this? Right? What was that week-long celebration? It was the Feast of Tabernacles, or also known as the Feast of Booths. And what would they do? They would go out and they would literally go camping. For a week, they would set up booths, sleep outside. It was actually a big party, kind of like our 4th of July. And the whole attitude was they were celebrating how God had set them free from their bondage in Egypt, right? How God had provided for them through their wilderness wanderings. And so they've been celebrating this freedom, but at the same time, they are chafing against 
the, the Roman occupation that they are currently living under. And at this moment, it's infringing on their external freedoms so much so that it taints everything. They see everything in their world through this lens of the idea that we're in bondage to Rome and we don't want to be in bondage to Rome. We want to be set free. Why did the Jewish people, the crowds, throng to Jesus and just, just a chapter before, they wanted to make him their king. Why? Because they saw him as their ticket out of Roman bondage. So they wanted to take Jesus and make him king by force because this, was, this occupation of Rome was chafing against them. Why was it that Peter rebuked Jesus in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 16? Remember Jesus, he's, he's uh, you know, preaching, who do men say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. He says, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then Jesus goes on and he starts to talk about how he's going to ultimately be taken captive and die for the sins of the world. And Peter responds, having one moment been so filled with the Spirit, now he totally responds in the flesh and he says, he rebukes Jesus. He goes, no, you're not going to die. Why do you say that? Because Peter and the disciples also were looking to Jesus to be the, the conquering king, to set them free from the bondage of Rome. And so he saw this as an occasion, you need to be rebuked. Be, because that's not what you're going to do. You're going to conquer Rome. As well, the crowds in Luke's gospel, Luke 19, when Jesus made his, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, just days before he would be crucified, they welcomed him with palm branches, this nationalistic symbol. Waving palms was the, the symbol of <clears throat> the nation of Israel, and, and they're like, here's our ruler, here's our king, he's gonna take care of Rome, he's gonna kick butt and take names, this is the guy. And they welcomed him, why? Because they chafed at Roman occupation. So even as they are insisting that they've never been in bondage to anyone, it is simply not true. Listen, there's more than external freedom. There's also internal freedom. And not only are these religious leaders not free externally, listen, they are not free internally. They are filled with murderous wrath and covetousness. Jesus, he said as much in a parable that he told in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 21, he told a parable about vine dressers. And the basic idea of the parable was this, that there was a, a, vi a vineyard owner and he had basically put servants in charge of his vineyard and their job was to work and to tend it and to produce fruit um, for his benefit. But, but, they, but they did it for themselves. They, 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 in covetousness, they said, we're gonna treat this thing like we own it. And, and it's a picture of how the religious leaders were handling the people of Israel and, and the religion in general like it was theirs, like it was their thing. This is our little kingdom and we're going to, we're going to be in charge. And, and so Jesus, in telling the parable, he basically says that this vineyard owner, he sent all kinds of representatives to come to them one by one and basically tell them, look, you guys are out of line and, and you're acting like you own the place and you don't. And one by one in Jesus' story, they would beat these messengers and, um, and in some instances, they killed some. 
And so then it culminates in the, the, the story in Matthew 21, verse 38. It says, but when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and let's get the estate for ourselves. So again, not only are these religious leaders not free externally, they are not free internally. And you say, okay, well, what's that got to do with me? Well, today you might be here and externally you're free. And people want to debate that right now, right? What are you talking about freedoms? Our freedoms are under attack and we're not even supposed to be here and, you know, and all of this stuff and there's all of this, you're free, okay? And you're free externally, but yet internally, maybe you're here and you're actually in prison. You're imprisoned by guilt or by shame or by regret for things that you have done. Or you're imprisoned by anger and bitterness because somebody has done something against you. Or maybe you're here today and you're imprisoned by anxieties and fears, by things that you have no control over. And just like the people in our text, maybe this internal imprisonment that you're living in taints everything in your life. So much so that the result, practically speaking, is that you're not free, that you actually are in bondage. You're in bondage to anger or to bitterness or to guilt or to shame or to regret or you're in bondage to anxiety or you're in bondage to fear or the worst kind of a bondage that you could be under is that you think you're free and you're celebrating your freedoms and actually you are enslaved to that freedom that you're celebrating. We see the effects of this all around us today. Maybe you're living with the effects of this. Right now, depression, suicide, drug and alcohol abuse are at an all-time high. You know what else is at an all-time high right now? The prescription of specific medications. Do you know three of the most prescribed medicines in the United States right now are Vicodin, Xanax, and Zoloft? In case you don't have your uh, PDR, your physician's desk reference handy to, to, to remind you of what all these are, Vicodin is for pain, Xanax is for anxiety, and Zoloft is for, for uh, depression. What does that tell us about the land of the free and the home of the brave? The people aren't free. They're not free. They're hurting. They're broken. They're beat up. And maybe that's you today. Why? Because you're in bondage internally. And the key to freedom that Jesus says is truth. Truth that centers on that third aspect of freedom. Remember, there's external freedom, there's internal freedom, and there's eternal freedom. And Jesus says the key to you being set free in every area is this idea of eternal freedom. Freedom where you're eternally liberated from the things that bind you on earth. That you're eternally set free and liberated from things that you even perceive as freedoms that are actually things that you're enslaved to. Freedom where you are eternally secure with a, with a future and a hope in paradise with God. A freedom where you are uh, eternally free in every sense. Externally, internally, eternally. And Jesus says that that freedom 
comes through abiding with God in his word as a member of his family. That word abide in your Bibles in verse 31, if you're given to taking notes, you could circle it. And nearby you could write this, you could write to continue in. That's what that word abide means. It means to continue in. Let me illustrate it this way. Last month, Brenda and I traveled to Tennessee. We went there to visit our church plants and to encourage the guys and to take care of some, some church planting business that we had to take care of. And as we, we went there, Brenda and I stayed in an Airbnb. And uh, it's really just this, this little place above a barn, literally. Um, and, and it, you know, it was, it was a nice little place. You know, it had a kitchen, had a living room, had a bedroom, had bathrooms, obviously. And it, it even had pictures on the wall and rugs on the floor, right? Quaint little place. But it wasn't home. It wasn't home, right? They didn't have any pictures of my family on the walls. It wasn't a place that I was abiding in and continuing in right? Temecula is my home. This is where we abide. This is where we continue in. And that's the idea that Jesus is communicating here in his text, that we are to make God's word our home, and that God's word is the place where we are to live continually in. And Jesus says there in verse 32 that the result when we do that is that you shall know the truth. Again, if you're given to taking notes in your Bible, you could circle that word no, and next to it, you could write knowledge through personal experience. Knowledge through personal experience. That's the idea. That's what it means. It's this Greek word gnosko, right? And the idea is that rather than knowing the personal experience of the world's lies and the consequences of the world's lies, which frankly, some of us are experiencing today, handcuffed to it. Rather than knowing those things, anger and bitterness and guilt and shame and regret and anxiety and fear and bondage, you can know forgiveness today. You can have cleansing of your shame. You can have hope and joy that walking in the truth brings. The meaning of that word know is best understood in the context of an intimate, personal relationship. I'll illustrate it this way. I know a lot of people, right? Uh, the, the manager of, my, of our, our grocery store, right down the street from our house. Um, and, and, and this guy, you know, uh, I, I, I know him. I mean, you know, I'll see him. We'll recognize each other. We'll exchange pleasantries. I, I've got a gardener. He, he cuts my, my lawn every week. I know him, right? Uh, I even, would you, I even know Hillary Duff for crying out loud. She did a movie with my son, Scotty, and we went over to her house and, and, you know, her sister was there, her mom was there. We watched this movie, right? But I don't know them intimately, personally. I mean, they, these people don't send me Christmas cards, right? The issue is, I don't know them relationally. Now, I do know Brenda. I know Brenda in a whole different way. We have an intimate and personal relationship. We have an abiding relationship. We continue in our relationship. And because this is our relationship, we know one another in truth. Here's what that looks like. Let me share with you from Genesis chapter two. God creates Eve. He creates her out of out of Adam's rib, right? He could have created Eve from anything. I mean, he created Adam out of the dirt. He could have created Eve out of the dirt. He, he could have created Eve just out of thin air, like he created the universe, 
right? Let there be light. He, he could have done that. But instead, he chose to create Eve from Adam's rib. And he did that for several reasons. And Adam gets the memo in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. God brings Eve to him, and Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She's a part of me. Those of you that have kids, you know this experience, right? How you, your, your child is born and you trip out. I remember Megan born, and I just absolutely was tripping out as I held this baby, just going, this is part of me. Like, I, it, just, it just blew my mind. And Adam says, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And God brings it to him. He's like, whoa, man, look at that, right? Woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. That's the idea. Be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Continue in, abide in. And the very next verse says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Naked literally, physically, yes. But it also speaks of a, of a nakedness, of a, nothing hidden. We, we, are, we are, you know, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We are, we are one flesh. We're united. And that phrase, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, it should sound familiar because this is what the Lord says to us. God himself has said, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the point that Jesus is emphasizing here is that as in marriage, true freedom comes through relationship. A relationship where we abide in him and he in us. A relationship where we abide in his word. A relationship where the truth of his word informs our actions and our beliefs. Where we experience true freedom, external freedom, internal freedom, eternal freedom. Now I told you that there's two related themes today. There's freedom and there's family and they're inextricably linked. We continue now with Jesus's, the Jews replying to Jesus and Jesus going back and forth with them. And you're gonna notice that the focus now turns to family. I'm gonna read through the end of the chapter and then we'll come back and we'll discuss it. So Jesus concludes, if the son makes you free, you're gonna be free indeed. And they have responded, you know, well, pff, we're Abraham's descendants. And Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's descendants but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. Talking about family. Whose family are you a part of? And they answered and they said to him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. 
You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. The idea is he speaks his own native tongue, for he's a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. And then the Jews answered and they said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Dude, you, you are, you are you're high, man. You are, you're messed up. And Jesus answered, he says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham's dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Do, do, do you make yourself, who, who is it you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my father who honors me, of whom you say that he's your God. You say he's your God, but didn't God the Father speak at my baptism? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yet you have not known him, Jesus continues, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Like this, that cat's been dead hundreds of years. Who are you kidding is their attitude. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is a messianic title, a messianic claim. I am is the name of God. Those people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God have never read this verse. And the Jews knew exactly who he was proclaiming to be, which is why the next verse says, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. Here in this exchange, we're focusing on this issue, the, the, dual, exchange, the dual issues of freedom and family. They are inextricably linked. And Jesus here dialing into family and the words father, descendants, and children are used 16 times. And the Jews' position basically is, hey, we're descendants of Abraham. And so they see themselves as true children of God's promise to Abraham. Here's the, the promise that was given is Genesis 17, verse 7. Jesus said, or uh, the Lord God spoke to the nation of Israel, to Abraham. He said, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant that I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And so the Jews, their position, they're now asserting that not only are they free, but that they are legitimate children of God. They say there in verse 41, we were not born of fornication, but we have one father, God. No doubt this is a dig at Jesus's paternity, right? And it is a flat rejection 
of Jesus' virgin birth. And let me tell you why that's important. The virgin birth is implied throughout the Old Testament and as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where we read that the seed of the woman would be the victor over Satan and sin. And as well, Isaiah expressly prophesied, saying that the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why is this important? Because the nature of the entire human race is steeped in sin. Every human birth that has occurred on this earth, from Adam onward, after from Adam's uh, children that he and Eve would conceive and every child born thereafterward has been born a sinner because Adam and Eve fell into sin. And our Savior, in order to qualify to demonstrate his own love for us and this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, for Jesus to be an acceptable sacrifice and giving his life as a ransom for many, Jesus had to be perfect. He had to have no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin or to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what is necessary is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God has come to dwell with us. Jesus, fully man and fully God. The only one without sin on this world. And so this doctrine stands at the heart of the person and the work of Jesus. And so these guys are basically saying, look, we're sons of Abraham, you're illegitimate. Now, in contrast to their assertions that they're legitimate and that Jesus isn't, Jesus sets them straight about their paternity. He's like, okay, you want to talk about family? You, John 8, 44, are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, that's what you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't walk or stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he's speaking his native tongue. He's he's speaking from his own resources, (coughs) for he is a liar and the father of it. See, these Jewish leaders who claim to belong to Abraham, they're very much unlike Abraham. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you're, you're laying claim to being the descendants of Abraham. You're nothing like him. Abraham was known as the friend of God. You want to kill God. Abraham listened to the truth and he obeyed it. You guys won't listen to the truth. You're rejecting the truth. I like what Warren Wearsby said in his commentary. He said, Satan's children may be well-versed in their religious traditions, but they have no understanding of the word of God. And the issue here is family. And the question is, who's your father? Again, Warren Wearsby, the worst bondage is the kind that the prisoner himself does not recognize as bondage. He thinks he's free, and yet he's really a slave. And I I, I just ask the question, does that apply to you today? There's external freedom, there's internal freedom, and there's eternal freedom. And you may be among those who are celebrating, hey, I'm free. 
And yet deep down you know that you're in bondage. Jesus explains here that the difference between spiritual freedom and bondage, it all hinges on who's your family. Are you a slave or are you a son? Notice again verses 34 through 36. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin, whoever is ongoing lifestyle of sin, is a slave of sin and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Slaves, they get no inheritance. The master dies, what do they get? They get nothing. They get nothing. They bought and sold like a commodity. The son, the master dies, he receives an inheritance. And Jesus is is saying, look, you got to answer the question. If you're a slave or if you're a son, and it all comes down to family, therefore, if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus, at the end of this gospel, he's going to be talking to his disciples, and he will give them this promise. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. Why? Because they're not slaves. They're sons. I'll give you three questions as we close. And then as we close, I'm gonna lead us in prayer. and, And as always, as we consider, man, this issue of freedom and am I in bondage? And it comes down to paternity. It comes down to family. And I give you the invitation. Do you want to know the Lord God as your father? I give you an invitation to surrender your life to him. That may apply to some of you in this room. It may apply to some of you in in some of our on-site campuses. It may apply to you watching online. And I'll give you that opportunity in just a second. But three questions as we close. I pray you'd write them down, take a walk with them this week. Question number one. Jesus was speaking about true spiritual freedom, but the religious leaders were fixated on political freedom. And I want you to think now, 2020, this issue of political freedom, what can you learn from that? Second question. As I contemplate the word abide, Where do I abide? And last question, am I living as a son or am I living as a slave? Jesus came to set you free.